This right here is my family Bible on my mom's side. All right. How many of you have a family Bible? Good. It's not something that people do often. It, it kind of came about because, you know, books were expensive and rarer, and you could really only afford one Bible. I've got, like, tons of them. I, I received a gift of a precious Bible from one of y'all last week, and I love it so much. I want to share this with you. This is a uh, family Bible on my mom's side. Mom, I brought it. Here, here it is, the cameras. It is, look at this 1960s de- design charm right here. It's got the puffy uh, this is vinyl. This, you could make a couch out of this. <clears throat> I looked online uh, after a little while after I got this, and I checked again this week to see if inflation had driven up the cost of this beautiful antique. It is, uh, you can get a gently used copy for anywhere between $17.99 and $30. Um, but you know what? This Bible is priceless. It really is. It's the Holy Bible, the Peace of Mind edition. Is priceless, and I, and I want to tell you why. Um, like most of these family Bibles, it has this section in here for like a family register. You all have those? Maybe you have them in your regular Bibles too. Um, this has that in there. Uh, this was um, given to my grandfather, uh, the William name redacted family uh, in, when they lived in Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska, when he was serving in the Air Force, where my mama was born. Night, February 25th, 1963. That's pretty amazing. Um, it's got the, all the information about who was born where, Albany, New York. Most of my family's from Albany, New York. So um, the one thing that I discovered after we received this, and I actually, nobody had really paid attention to it. This, this had been given down, down to family, but not really looked through. Is here in this family register section, it, lo- it seems to be the only existing sample of my grandmother's handwriting. My grandmother died in Alaska when my mom was three years old, and so uh, there's, they had been married for just a few years. Um, can you believe, isn't that something? Like, ooh, grandma touched this, and my mom was like, my mama touched this, it's pretty cool. So it's super priceless. Um, this was, my grandfather had this, and when he passed, it went down to my uncle Mark, who lived in South Carolina, and when he passed just a few years ago, um, my aunt and mom were looking for what to do, and they figured I, being the preacher of the family, should have a Bible. They're like, hey, I think you do this for a living. You should probably have one of these. It's like, oh, thanks. That's great. Um, but here's the deal. It's not just like the simple um, passing out of estate property. You know how that goes. It's, it's not like cleaning out the house and making sure somebody gets the thing they wanted and, and we kind of get rid of this thing. There's, this is more than a possession now that's just simply handed down. There was a, a sense of being entrusted with this Bible by my family, right? My aunts and my mom, this, this is their, their mother's handwriting. There's a sense that this wasn't just, hey, here, you take this off my hands, or here, you have this to put on your shelf, because um, so you don't have enough 1960 vinyl cover Bibles, and it's true, I don't. <laughs> but I was entrusted this as a family heritage, as something that that means something to the lineage of, of who we are and, and speaks to the, the aspirations of faith and goodness to the family. So, so I'm caring for this. I don't have a lot of stuff like that. Like I have, I have the old Polaroid camera that Uncle Mark had. Uh, they, that was one of the things they were just trying to get rid of. This, this is different. Do you understand what I'm saying? Have you ever had anything entrusted to you like that? Like this makes me say, I've got... I've got roots to uphold. 
and something to do. That's what our sermon series has been about over the past few weeks is entrusted. And the concept is like is this, um, that everything belongs to God and has been entrusted to us, and it's actually a precious gift to steward it. Everything belongs to God. And by everything, I mean our lives, our bodies, our money, our resources, the people that are in our lives, for good or for ill. (laughs) Some of you are nudging somebody, don't. You love them. Our responsibilities, even the mundane ones, our ministry together, all entrusted by God. And that's what we're talking about today is the one, one of the things that God has entrusted to all of us, and that is His mission through this body of believers. God has entrusted that to us. So I want to turn to the Scripture. Do you mind if I read out of my family Bible? It will be in the King James Version. It'll be different than on the screen. Here's what I'm going to advise you to do. The King James Version of Acts chapter 1 is, is, is quite Shakespearean and Jamesian, so you can follow along the New Revised Standard Version. I don't get to use this Bible very often, so I would love to read it. We're going to look at the first eight verses of chapter 1 of the book of Acts. So hear the reading of God's holy word from the Acts of the Apostles. Beginning with the introduction. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also shewed, not like a horseshoe, that's a showed, to whom he also shewed himself alive and after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Listen to this. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to run up to the pulpit in just a second, but I can't help, if you'll permit me just a a second, I can't help when reading anything this week in the Bible, but especially the passage we're reading from today, I can't help but think about Israel. I just can't help it. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The apostles asked a long time ago. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. I've been to the city. Do you see Jesus praying at the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you see in the background the house of Caiaphas in Jerusalem? Judea, the region in the south. Some of you have set foot there. Uh, Samaria, the ends of the earth. 
I can't help but think about that. Do you see how closely tied our Christian faith is to the land and the people? Um, So here's the deal. If you'll permit me to say something, I'm no expert. And you don't have to take my advice on anything, okay? Um, I don't know as much as I wish I did about what's happening across the world, all right? Everybody seems to know everything. But I just don't. I know there is evil. I know there is evil. I know there is evil. And it breaks our hearts. And so I want us to pray. This is what I know to do. I, you, I, could, I could come up with my position statements and try to go into this binary political argument and, and make a fight between me and whoever else about things that I don't know anything about. But what I do know about is to pray. And just real quick, did you, just this verse, you could pray the Psalms over the people of Israel and, and the civilians who are going to get caught in any of this conflict. It says, uh, rise up, O judge of the earth, pay back the proud what they deserve. How long, O Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? This is, these are prayers of scripture that we can pray. And just pray for people. I, I want to say just a couple of things. Can I give you just a little piece of advice? There, all of the, the terror that's going on from Hamas and all of the destruction that is going to be seen as, as Israel uh, defends itself and there's conflict onward, it comes with a psychological, emotional, and spiritual baggage that re- reverberates around the world. Right? The, fact that, the fact that we feel stress and our media is consumed with it is just a sign of that. I, wanna, I just want to caution you to be slow. And here's what I mean by that. You, do, you and I, let me, let me speak for myself, okay? I do not have to jump on a binary bandwagon on anything at all. I have the luxury of sitting back, praying, formulating thoughts, opinions, prayers, and coming to people. Our society, our country is so polarized and binary, and we could easily get sucked in. Could, I just want to encourage you to be slow and pray. Be slow and pray. Learn and pray. Learn and pray. Don't let the fever pitch become your pitch about so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. There's so much information and misinformation. I don't even know what's true. I just want to encourage you. I also want to encourage you um, to know that all violence is evil. The terror that has been shown is evil. Violence that would occur around the world, especially uh, anti-Semitism and even, even anti-Muslim violence is abhorrent to the Lord, all right? And so let's just pray for people to be safe and do good and try to speak peace wherever we can. Now, I guarantee I've said something wrong. I, I don't have my political... Uh, skills up very well. I just want you to pray, and I want, I want us to be a people uh, who, who move not at the fever pitch of the zeitgeist of culture, but at the pace of the Lord, and who pray at the pace of the Lord. So it's just, it's here in the Bible we were just reading, and I just wanted to say that real quick. Um, now time for sermon number two. I'm going to be very fast. I'm going to be very fast. Hey, this church, this, this, is, a hard, this is a hard shift to make, right? Um, our church, uh, some of you were here when this happened. Our church has been here since 1841. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Generations of faithful, we talked about this last year in uh, just wonderful history. Generations of people not only built this place, praise God that they did, but there is ministry that happened here right down in the heart of downtown Albany for generations and it's handed on. Some of you have family members 
who may have been, your lineage may go back that far, and maybe not, but it's been handed to us now. Guess what? We are the body of believers, the membership of First Methodist Church, and that's a beautiful thing. But, but like this Bible of mine, um, it's not, the fact that the church is in our hands is not just a transfer of possessions, right? It's a transfer of stewardship. Because even the people who first planted this church and who first built these buildings and laid these bricks and, and, and gave of their heart, soul, and strength, the church didn't even belong to them to give to begin with. And it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, that, that should take a load off everybody's shoulders real quick. Be like, oh, if it belongs to God, God's got this. Praise God. Now, a few months ago, you might, you might remember, um, we made a transition in our denominational life and our connection. Uh, we felt called to make a transition into the Global Methodist Church. And in so doing, to join that, that new Methodist movement um, filled, with, filled with life. And just real quick, last, uh, yesterday there was an annual conference of the Global Methodist Church in Ohio where 150 people were ordained, which is, we think, the most in one day in American Methodist history, which is pretty amazing. Praise God. Well, as a part of that transition, we received the deeds to our property. But we might have the deeds to the property, but the church does not belong to us. In fact, it's not really about property at all. That God has entrusted, the church is not the building. The building is where the church sometimes is. It's not really about the property. It's about this community of faith that God has given us each other, to care and spurn one another onto holiness, and God has given us a mission. And it's his mission, and he's entrusted it to us. He has entrusted this holy work to us. Now, Jesus makes this distinction a little bit in Acts chapter 1. The, the apostles, after Jesus is resurrected and is about to leave, be ascended into heaven to take his ministry at the right hand of the Father, they're like, well, something's about to happen here. What's, what's, what's going to happen next? And they're trying to wrap their minds around it. They said, is this the time that the ancient promised kingdom of Israel will be put back together and restored and, and we'll have things as good as we used to when Solomon ruled here with all his splendor, you know, Solomon and his riches? Like God promised that our kingdom here in Israel would be the greatest on the earth? Is this that time? You see, they're looking for something, um, something good, something for them, something in their corner of the world, something that they can see and take ownership over. But Jesus has something completely different in mind. One, he says, it is not for you to know the times and days that the Father has set. We should probably remember that as well. Um, but he says nothing about yes or no. Instead, he says, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. They were looking for a kingdom and he gave them a task. They were looking for uh, a kingdom and he gave them a commission. They wanted to be citizens, he made them witnesses. Because God's plan is bigger than this. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, which is where they were, in Judea, the wider region, in Samaria, the place where they didn't like the folk. Jesus even wants us to be witnesses in those kinds of places. And to the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses there. Because see, God's plan is much bigger than anything that we could contain, even, even the boundaries of a kingdom. In fact, that term, um, 
to the ends of the earth is something that we see all throughout the Bible. Let me read this to you from the book of Isaiah, where we will see that phrase again, and it'll help us understand what God is entrusting to us. God says through Isaiah, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. He's saying, you're in exile, and to bring you back would be a big thing, but I've actually got more. He said, I will also not only bring you back, but I will make you a light for the Gentiles so that my salvation will reach the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus has entrusted to us. They were looking for a kingdom. He gives them a mission. They were looking for something that they could put boundaries on. And Jesus says, no, you're going to bear witness to my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. Not just a building, not just an hour or so on Sunday, not just a place where we can go, where we are fed and uh, we have people that we like, but a mission to bear witness to God's salvation And that is no small thing, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have life. He wants that for all people. God who desires that no one should perish, but all should live eternal life. God who sent his son Jesus to say, in this broken world, there is no way for you to restore what is broken, what was broken by others or broken by you. No way to assuage the darkness of your guilt. So I will send my son to die in your place and be raised so that death would be defeated and you could have life. That is the mission that God wants us to be taking part in. That's what God wants to do. And I can't believe this that he entrusts that to us. Can you believe that? Look, one time my neighbor wanted me to take care of their cat while they were on vacation, and they entrusted me with their cat. And I locked the key in the house, like on the second day, and the cat, the poor cat, like, I don't know what that cat ate. I don't want to know. You can't trust me with a cat, but God's going to entrust us with this mission to say with the church around the world, I'm going to put you, First Methodist Christians, here in this place because there are people all around you that I love. And I want you to be my witnesses to them, to go and share the good news that life can be more than it is, that uh, their interactions and their cultural relationships can be renewed and holy and good and optimistic, uh, that you who are lost in the dark of sin and you who think your life is devastated and in rubble and can never be put back together, you, there is hope for you. That those who are hungry could be fed and those who are naked could be clothed and those who need a compassionate touch could have witnesses of Jesus to go and share the mission. God says, I entrust this to you for this time and this place and then to hand it on to someone else. That is a beautiful thing that God would entrust his salvation and his work to us. You see, we, we don't really even belong to ourselves. We belong to each other, but we belong to God. And this mission that he's given us, this beautiful, beautiful mission, he says, I entrust this to you. Do you remember the parable of the talents we talked about a few weeks ago? Master went away, gave each of his servants some cash, said, I'm going to come back. One of the servants was so scared that I don't know if he was scared. He was scared. He just didn't do anything with it. He just buried it. So when he comes back, I'm going to give him just what he gave me. Turns out that he had done the wrong thing because the master wanted him to do something with it. That's a story of what it means to steward things. I believe that somebody handed this to us from God. God has empowered us by his spirit 
with this mission for these people, for you and for me. He just wants us to do something with it. What if it was risky to try something? The parable of the talents said you might have at least put it in the bank instead of doing nothing. What if it's scary? What if I have to talk to somebody in a Samaria place that I don't understand? What if, what I, what if I have to see the real ugly parts of my own heart as I do or bear witness to the real difficult parts of someone else's life? God says, I've entrusted this to you. My salvation, my witnesses, do something with it. There was uh, two professors I want to tell you about very quickly. We'll close out. Steve Siemens is a professor at Asbury. Uh, just wonderful. Some of you have studied his book with Brandon, I believe. You studied ministry and the image of God. He says, uh, he reminds us that this is not our ministry. This is not our ministry. Anything that we do is the ministry of God the Father in the Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. All ministry is the Father's ministry. All ministry is the Father's ministry. And he said, I want you to do some of that for me. Can you believe that? And I know it can get difficult and it can go hard, and I don't know about you, but life can get a little messy sometimes and take us off task. But another one of my professors, Bob Tuttle, he always used to say, don't you know God has more invested in you than you do? Can't you say the same thing about the Church of Jesus Christ, about First Methodist Church? I know some of you put blood, sweat, and tears, generations, pain and joy. But God has even more than any of us invested in his work through this place because he loves it, and he loves these people, and he loves us. And so let's take heart, take joy that God is doing a great work. The old 1965 Methodist book of worship had a great line. It said, Dearly beloved, the church is of God and will prevail till the end of time. God, thank you for letting us, for this moment, steward your powerful work here. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to invite you. I don't know what the Lord's doing in your heart one way or the other. I know he's doing something. He might be speaking to you that... that there's a change he desires for your life that he wants to make in you. Did you know that sometimes, most of the time, it takes God to make a change in our lives? It does. It's his power. So if, that's, if he's calling you to something, let's answer that call. Is he calling you to faith in Jesus? Is he calling you to salvation? This is the time to say yes. Come share that. Some of you might say, you know what? I, I just feel the Spirit calling me. I want to be a part of this family of faith. I want to join this church and I want you to know that we would love to be your church family, wouldn't we, everybody? Yeah, we have a lot of people I talked to this morning that are excited about, about joining up. And I just want you to know, you could come and share that with us today. You can join by professing your faith, reaffirming your faith, or transferring your membership from a church you may no longer attend. You might just want to pray. The altar is open. I would love to pray with you. Pastor Anna would love to pray with you. Any of these folk would. Whatever it takes, answer the Spirit's call. Let him minister to you.